fasten your seatbelt. I am taking you for the ride of your life. I'm going to show you what this car can really do. Are you ready? I am ready. Hang on. Okay. Here we go. Hold on to your butts. Go get him, kid. It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. Not a tumor at all. If you're going to ask me, so you can go ahead and ask me what you're going to ask me. And my natural response could be to get offended. Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week. 30 years in the making. Patrick, Bo, how you doing? Well, John, how are you? Doing really well. Doing really well. We get to talk movies, so I am always good when we're talking movies. Hello out there to all of you lovely, lovely people. As it is the month of November, we I am just trying to make an extra effort to thank you all for listening. I am very thankful for all of you leading up to Thanksgiving. But thank you all for listening to our show, and thank you to those who support the show by being co-executive producers via Patreon or share our stuff on Twitter or share episodes with their friends and... Um, in whatever ways you interact with or support the show, thank you for being here. Like, we just really, really enjoy getting to interact with you. And even if we've never spoken before or emailed or tweeted or anything like that, we're just excited you're here. And uh, just we we love being able to share our love of movies and hope that you get some enjoyment out of that, too. So, thank you. Amen. All right. Well, our, our movie this time around is Malcolm X. So before we get started, we spoil freely here. This is pretty much your only warning. You can visit our website, 30podcast.com, where you can leave a rating, leave a voicemail. You can become one of those co-executive producers via Patreon. There are all kinds of benefits there. We could become friends with Ben. No, never mind. I didn't want to say it that way. Um, I feel like that would have gotten a little awkward had I finished that sentence. So let's not do that. We can become friends. I'll just leave the benefits part out. Right. Well, okay. I, I don't know, man. Are, are we kind of, I don't know. Are we, are we making our listeners, are we giving them a raw deal? You oh, know what I'm saying? Are, are we, are we shortchanging them? them if we are friends, but we leave out the benefits? I, I don't know. I just, cause I, now I feel like it's a thing. I, I feel awkward about having said it now, but yeah, there are benefits and we can be friends but not the traditional definition of friends with benefits. Right. Okay. You can pick your friends and you can pick your nose, but you can't pick your friends' noses. Would you like benefits? That's what, I guess that's the question. Sure. That's fine. We could word it that way. Listen to the 30 something podcast. Would you like benefits from your friends? I don't know. Now I feel like you're propositioning them. That may be more awkward. Yeah. Okay. I'm just. I'm. I'm going to stop talking. But you're. But you're a very. You're very kind and you're very giving, Pat. And that's. That's what I love about you. So. Now, granted, you're probably going to hate whatever movie they they enjoy most, but. Well, if keeping with past practice, right, is the case, then yes, that's what's going to happen. Well, I'll give him this. He's consistent. Nice. 
All right. Well, our movie this time around is Malcolm X. It came out on the 18th of November, 1992. I believe from last week's episode, that was the date that Superman was killed by Doomsday. It was November 18th, 1992. So just a terrible day all, all the way around. Rated R with a runtime of, with a surprising runtime of three hours and 21 minutes. Because I remember when I sat down to start watching this, I was like, all right, cool. Let's sit down and watch Malcolm X. Through What? Three and a half hour. Huh. Mm. Okay. I was, Bo, as, as you might have mentioned last week, I was not necessarily prepared for the three and a half hours, but I, I will say having watched the movie, it didn't feel like three and a half hours. No, it was three and a half hours. Well done. Yeah. Without a, without a doubt. Yeah. It just uh, agreed. It took like me by surprise. By. Mm-hmm. It yeah. zipped by. Yeah. But there was a lot of movie there. Yes. Director for this one is Spike Lee. He also did Do the Right Thing in Jungle Fever. Writers were Arnold Pearl, who died in 1971. Spike Lee, Alex Haley, who wrote the book, who died in 1992. Pearl did Fiddler on the Roof, East Side, West Side. Lee did Jungle Fever, Do the Right Thing, and Haley did Roots and Superfly TNT. Producers for this one were Marvin Worth, who died in 1998, and Spike Lee. Worth did Rhinestone and Less Than Zero. Lee did Mo Better Blues and Jungle Fever. Music was done by Terrence Blanchard, who did Jungle Fever and The Woman King. Cinematography by Ernest Dickerson, the Ernest Dickerson. He puts his pants on the same way the rest of us do, one leg at a time. But when he does, once his pants are on, he makes gold-plated movies. That's a completely different That That he does. Yeah. I got to have more cowbell. He did cinematography (laughs) for Brother from Another Planet and the TV series Tales from the Dark Side. Dales from the Dark Side is a completely different TV series. Agreed. About a a farmer named Dale, and he's got a dark side. I made that up. I don't know that that exists, but again, it's more ideas that I can quit my job and just be creative. I want to know, I I just want to know. What love is? Well, you mentioned the soundtrack. You mentioned the music, Terrence Blanchard. Yeah. How many hours are we allotted on this episode to talk about the incredible soundtrack of this movie? About the soundtrack? How many hours are you giving me, John? I mean, I'll I'll give you, can you cut it down to an hour and a half? Maybe if we only talk about the Terrence Blanchard score and not any of the diegetic music that was in there. Okay. Let's let's pull an Inigo Montoya (sighs) and you've only got time to sum up. Okay. Yeah, that soundtrack was amazing. Okay. All right. I can't wait to talk more about this. I mean, it. Terrence Blanchard. I, I've heard him live. Phenomenal musician. Oh, have you? Great nice. trumpet player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great trumpet player. I mean, his his comp- his compositions for movies they always sound so unique. I love what he does with chords, and then just all all of the great like soundtrack type stuff in there. Billy Holiday, Duke Ellington. I mean. It is an amazing, an amazing soundtrack. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll try to give you some time to talk about it. Oh gosh, I just like, and it's 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 just going to be me doing that, going, oh man, this soundtrack is amazing. Oh, the soundtrack is fantastic. That's, that's I fine. just that's, that's acceptable. It is incredible music. Just go listen to the soundtrack, and how it really helped paint the scenes was pretty amazing as well. Like it wasn't just great music, but I mean it really really fit not only the use of the music like the non-terrence blanchard compositions but his music like i just said a second ago it's always sounds so unique it's great he's doing some trumpet playing on it it great soundtrack 
Yeah. <laughs> Just absolutely amazing soundtrack. Well, we've lost Pat, but that's okay. Yeah, I'm we'll, done. I'm we'll, going to go listen. We'll, we'll get I'll see back. you guys later. We'll He's spent. <laughs> and I'm... And then the editor for this one was Barry Alexander Brown, who did Do the Right Thing and The Giver. Budget was $35 million. Box office was $73 million. Flick Metrics gives it a 77%. Cinema score gives it an A. Denzel Washington played Malcolm X. He was in Fallen and Training Day. Angela Bassett played Betty Shabazz. She was in What's Love Got to Do With It and Black Panther. Albert Hall played Baines. He was in Apocalypse Now and Ali. Al Freeman Jr., who died in 2012, played Elijah Muhammad. He was in Castle Keep and One Life to Live. Delroy Lindo played West Indian Archie. He was in The Blood of Heroes and Get Shorty. Spike Lee played Shorty, not related to Get Shorty. It's totally different. Mm. He was in Mo Better Blues and Jungle Fever. Kate Vernon played Sophia. She was in Battlestar Galactica and Pretty in Pink. Teresa Randall played Laura. She was in the Bad Boys movies and Spawn. Lonette McKee was Luis Little. She was in Jungle Fever and Brewster's Millions. And Giancarlo Esposito played Thomas Hare. He was in Night on Earth and Breaking Bad. So a couple things real quick. Malcolm X's widow, Dr. Betty Shabazz, served as a consultant to this film. So I know that there were a couple times where, I mean, Spike Lee, I think, was very concerned about getting this right. So I, I think it's important to point out that Malcolm X's wife was a consultant on this film. And, and I think except for one particular scene, the scene where they are, where Malcolm and Betty are arguing with each other about him being betrayed by the nation of Islam. I think she pretty much said that, that this is as accurate as you're going to get from like a, like for lack of a better term, a Hollywood movie. She mm-hmm. said, she said they never argued, but other than that, she was, I, I guess she accepted everything else that, that they had done in this movie to kind of showcase his life. Hmm. So interesting. Yeah. Spike Lee removed all mention of Louis Farrakhan from the movie after receiving specific direct threats from him. So clearly, a little little intimidation there going on. Yeah, just a bit. Well, life imitates art, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So I, I think at that point, I would be, <laughs> I would be a little worried about continuing with the film. When you start mm-hmm. getting threats like that. Initially, this one was kind of fun. Initially, Spike Lee requested $33 million for this film, a reasonable sum considering its size and scope, but much more than his previous budgets. Because Lee's five previous films combined had grossed less than $100 million domestically, Warner Brothers offered him $20 million for a two-hour, 15-minute film and then $8 million for the foreign rights to the film. When the film went $5 million over budget, Lee kicked in most of his salary, but the financiers shut down post-production. Lee went public with his battles and raised funds from celebrity friends, including Oprah Winfrey, Michael Jordan, and Bill Cosby, to regain control of the project. After a positive screening of a rough cut, Warner Brothers kicked in more funds. Interesting. Sounds like he had to do had to do a little bit of work to to get the movie to get the money for his movie. Yes. But glad that he did. Like I, as I said before, I was surprised when I first turned it on. I was like, "Oh, three and a half hours." Oy. Okay. I mean, I'm I'm not averse to watching a three and a half hour movie. I just wasn't expecting it. And when when I saw that, I was like, "Oh, okay." But I feel like if if this had been relegated to a two hour and fifteen minute movie, you would have missed out on so much. Oh yeah, I mean, it would have had to been a part one, part two, or something. I mean, there is there is no wasted time in this movie. 
I, I agree with everything you guys are saying, and I'm really glad to hear you guys say it because I'm like, how do I say this? It's a long movie, but it zips by. Yeah. And I almost find myself, oh, man, I wish they could have added like another half or half an hour in of explanation or yeah. whatnot. It almost, I think, is because it's really like two movies in one. Do you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? It's like before he goes to prison, after he goes to prison. And they each kind of have, they tie together so well, but they each have like their own thing. So I, I think that's what right. makes it obviously be a long movie, but helps it zip by is you really just kind of watch two movies. In- yeah. Agreed. Yep. All right. The synopsis for this one. In a world where Malcolm Little hit rock bottom during his imprisonment in the 50s, he became a black Muslim and then leader in the Nation of Islam. His assassination in 1965 left a legacy of self-determination and racial pride. This film stands as a tribute to the controversial activist and leader for the struggle for black liberation. And this is where the trailer would go, but the file was not working, so I'll add it in later on. Boom, boom. This is the trailer song. It isn't very long. I don't know why the trailer song has so much banjo in it. (laughs) Boy, boy, you got a real purdy trailer. Wow. (laughs) Yep, I took it to Deliverance. Yeah. Feel like a teaser. Okay, and we're back. So major moments for this one. First major moment, I'm calling it Malcolm Little, because as Pat pointed out, I mean, really my first three major moments out of the seven that I have written down here are the first of the two movies that are in this movie. It really and truly is like his life before he went to prison and then his life after prison when he becomes Malcolm X. So so the first part here, I you get Malcolm Little. You kind of get him, the history of his family and growing up and a little bit about his parents and, and kind of what happened when he was a child and his education and, and some of the... Uh, you know, the interactions that he had with white teachers and, you know, just all the people that even as a little kid, he's like, I want to be a lawyer. I'm the best student in the class. Well, that just is not, that's not realistic for you. You need to think about doing something else. And just all those different obstacles that he came up against, you, you get that whole backstory right here at the very beginning and done in such a way that, again, no, didn't feel like there were any wasted scenes or wasted moments in this movie like boom, 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 boom. You're you're getting you know kind of his whole family, like his his mom, and and I knew. I don't know a whole lot in terms of like the actual historical figure of Malcolm X. I know what I know just from learning history in school. Um, honestly, I have not read a lot or or haven't really done a lot of my own research on the figure of Malcolm X. So, mm-hmm. but I felt like at the beginning of this movie, and I know it's a movie, so I know this is fictionalized to a point, but I felt like I really started to understand his character enough from what they showed me about his father and about his mother and about his upbringing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've, I've never done like a deep dive fact fiction fiction with this movie, but I, I think from the people I've talked to and the little bit of reading I've done, I think the movie does a pretty darn good job of capturing the character of Malcolm X. Now, if they, obviously, if they change things, do the Hollywood treatment for, take dramatic license, right? With things that could definitely happen, but it it feels like, it seems like, like 
bringing Malcolm X to life was really well done in a major part of this movie. Yeah. Yeah, second major moment I've got is I'm calling it West Indian Archie. And so this is where he kind of gets into, you know, he, he gets into the hustling game and he, he gets he gets himself a, a little piece of the action with the numbers. And I I would be completely lost here. Like, I can't. There was a time at one point when I was a much younger man with a much younger brain where I could memorize things and numbers. I, I would have to write them down. Mm-hmm. That was That was so interesting to watch. Yeah. And that whole little that whole little troop of characters, to you know West Indian Archie, and then all the other guys that were kind of hanging out his mm-hmm. his whole little gang there hanging out with him, and which then makes it. I'm going to fast forward here just for a second, which then makes it so tragic and sad when you see him later in the movie, like what has happened mm-hmm. to him the whatever it is like ten twelve whatever years later, and he's it, it appears like he's had a stroke and he's been kind of left by himself and you know he he went from being top of the world to now he can't even get up out of his chair at home and he has no one that no one there to take care of him and but yeah the the and and this actor too i'm blanking out his name there was delroy lindo delroy lindo Um, so good he's so good and like he's he's kind of a that guy that you see in other movies he's like oh yeah that guy i've seen that guy in movies before and I, I don't know that I would be able to, if I didn't go to IMDb, I don't know if somebody told me his name and that I'd be able to start rattling off movies that he's been in. But as soon as I mm-hmm. looked him up and I started to look up, oh, he's been in that one. Oh, I remember him in that one. And it, yeah, he's, he's a that guy. Totally. And it, it's funny, I recognize him. My wife watches The Good Fight. Oh, yeah. So that's where I remember him from right now anyway. But so good. In everything he's in. Yeah. You don't remember him from the 1989 movie, The Blood of Heroes? I do not. No? No. Shocking. I know. We we did that one on the show. Yeah. 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 It was the, uh, it was the one with Rutger Howard, Vincent D'Onofrio, Delroy Lindo was in it. It was the one, what was the sport called? Jugger was the sport. Oh my gosh! Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's crazy. Here's here's the quick little just to remind you. Here's the quick sugar in a future <laughs> in a future where most of mankind and technology is wiped out. Six people travel from place to place, playing a brutal form of football with a dog skull. God, yes. Wow. Which it was called Blood of Heroes in the States. In Australia, it was called the Salute of the Jugger. <laughs> I and I I think I also pointed out at the time that and I mean leave it to Germany to come up with something like this mm-hmm. that Germany has actually created a league where people play Jugger. That really? sounds about right. Yeah. I, I need to look up the rules of this jugger game. I, I think it's outstanding. You can find YouTube videos. Okay, where, even where better. They, where they show people playing it and they kind of explain some of the rules and, yeah. Even it's, better. Uh, it's it's all kinds of, it's all kinds of wonderful is what I'm trying to say. That's absolutely outstanding. If you want to listen to that episode, I believe. That was episode episode number two twenty nine. We did that one back in twenty nineteen. So 
If you want to go check that one out, it's episode 229, Nobody Carries the Dog Boy, Blood of Heroes from 1989. I even remember that line. There you go. It's a little disturbing that I remember that line, but, That's you right. know. Yeah. I say all that to say that uh, Delroy Lindo is a great actor. Yes. And West Indian Archie is fun. Yes. And also yes. true. Major moment number three, I'm taking another movie tile and uh, replacing the name. I'm calling it Malcolm Goes to Jail. Not related to Ernest at all. but So Malcolm Goes to Jail, and this is where the transfer transformation really kind of takes place, is he is, he's kind of biding his time, just waiting to get out, but he's he's ready to start hustling again. And then he gets introduced to, what was the guy's name? Was it Baines? Yep. He gets introduced in to Baines in prison. And Baines is the one that is, he's there's something different about him, and he's trying to get Malcolm to, I, I think he sees some something promising in Malcolm, and, and so he's trying to share with him the, the tenets of Islam and, and why this would be a way for him to turn his life around and, and all of that, and, and ultimately he does. Ultimately he starts to realize that a lot of this, based on his history, based on what his family went through, what he went through, that a lot of this is making a lot of sense to him. And so that is why he is transforming from Malcolm Little to Malcolm X. He does explain later in the movie the, the kind of meaning behind the X name that it means, kind of means the unknown, that he doesn't really, doesn't necessarily know who he is. And the idea being that ultimately one of the, one of the things that the Nation of Islam and the black nationalist movement was to leave the United States and start their own country. And then they would kind of abandon their American names, you know, if, by making that shift. And so the X is kind of like he's leaving it there as, right now I, I don't know who I am. My identity is not complete yet. And then later on he will, as we see later on in the movie, he does adopt a more more of a Muslim name later on. Major moment number four I'm calling Preach. This is like the, the big kind of middle chunk of the movie where he is just out pounding the pavement, he is preaching, he is sharing the teachings of the Nation of Islam and just trying to get as many people to listen as possible and pretty much rising in the ranks very quickly to become their most influential figure, probably even more influential than Elijah Muhammad himself. And that's where that then kind of leads into major moment number five, which is I'm calling Betrayed by the Nation. Because in the movie... As his wife Betty points out, is that he is kind of being used as the mouthpiece for the Nation of Islam, but somehow he doesn't seem to be benefiting as much from the the work that they do as some of the others are. You know, some of the others have nicer cars, have bigger houses, have money, and he doesn't seem to have as much. But he is probably the most influential figure in the whole group. And this also then starts to kind of create a little bit of a rift between him and Elijah Muhammad. There is a point in which he comes out and makes a comment about the assassination of JFK, to which Elijah Muhammad says, look, I, I need you to stop talking for a while. Like for 90 days, I need you to not talk to anybody. No press, no speeches, no nothing. You're, you're shut down. And that was kind of, that kind of, made a split between them and, and that was at the point where he kind of realized that and doing some of his own investigation into the maybe some of the inappropriate behaviors 
of the leaders of the Nation of Islam, especially Elijah Muhammad, when it came to fathering other children and then not necessarily supporting the mothers of those other children. I think all of those things kind of coupled together then led him to the next major moment, which is the pilgrimage to Mecca, which then he kind of... I don't want to say he completely turns his back. Well, he kind of does turn his back on the Nation of Islam and really kind of embraces embraces more of a broader understanding of Islam rather than just the black nationalist movement in the United States. And so he does kind of make some comments there about how, well, things he's said in the past, he's softening on some of those things and he has a different understanding now. And so they'll, they'll be more inclusive about, you know, people that want to help support the cause and, and things like that. And then the last major moment is obviously the last part of the movie is his speech that he's going to give at the Audubon ballroom and that is where ultimately that he is assassinated. And I know we'll, we'll talk here in a minute about whether we like the movie and the first time we saw it and all that. I will say this is the first time I saw the movie. And so it was, and, and if, if his assassination, if what was shown in the movie for his assassination was even half of how it really happened, the fact that his wife and kids were there, you know, the, just how brutal it was, how how it sounds like the Nation of Islam were fairly open about admitting to having arranged it. And I guess the current leader of the Nation of Islam, Louis Farrakhan, at different times in the past pretty much said, yeah, we did it. Yeah, they didn't They didn't really hide from that one, you know? No. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. What would you like to right? do next? Yeah. yeah. So... Yeah, that was that was a pretty intense scene. And then ending the movie with a kind of a nice collection of speeches, some text I think from some of his speeches. Um, you know, we have Nelson Mandela is there at the end of the movie. We've got all these different kind of clips of Malcolm X and his influence and and all of that. And then that kind of that wraps up the movie. So, did I miss any major moments? I don't think so. I, Pat, I know you would have wanted me to talk for like two hours on the opening scenes of the movie with all the dancing and the music and the. Yeah, that was some. That was pretty cool stuff. And the bright suits and the hats. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. The clothes were. It was impressive, man. Those, it was great stuff. Those are. So and I'm biased because I I love that. I love jazz music. Oh yeah. So hearing all that was just amazing. Those are some pretty slick suits too. Mm -hmm. Right. The, the zoot suits. Uh huh. Oh yeah. Yeah, it was it was a pretty unique, a pretty unique style. Yeah. And now deep thoughts. <gasps> All right. So starting off, when was the first time you saw this movie? Like I said, for me, it was this week. Yeah, me too. I knew very little walking into this about what we were going to, what I was going to be watching. Okay. Yeah. I, I, sort of like you, John. I mean, it's, it, it's history in that we sort of know who Malcolm X was, but I'm not, I'm not confident I could have spoken intelligently about him until today. And I'm not even sure I can now. I I first saw this movie a number of years ago. I'd say this maybe the maybe the 
third time I've seen this. Like, so it's not like I watch it all the time, but I've seen it a couple times. And I had, you know, very cursory understanding of who Malcolm X was and, you know, his role in the struggle for civil rights and equality and all of that. And uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what I'm bringing to the table, yeah. watching it. And I like, like anything, and you hit the nail on the head, especially in that very, very graphic scene of his assassination, you know, how much of this was accurate, how much of it was Hollywoodized or condensed, Right. you know what I'm saying? And you just do some reading and I know it was, you know, there were some things that were pretty accurate to, from the claims, pretty accurate to what was happening in real life. And I know that I think the movie did a really neat job. I, I, um, Spike Lee has a very unique style, right? You know, like you can tell his films just with the color choices, mm -hmm. uh, the lens. I, I don't know how to describe it that other than the camera seems to have not softer focus, but there don't seem to be a lot of harsh edges when he's filming. I don't know how to do the shot composite. Just It just seems to be unique. It, it, mm -hmm. it, it, he has his own signature style. I mentioned the music already, and I'll probably keep, doing that as much as I possibly can. But I like that they interspersed actual footage with the filmed parts. They had some scenes where like Zell Washington would be sitting there and it was like they based that scene and they created that shot based on a picture taken of Malcolm X. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think there was a lot that that they did really to get accuracy in the movie. Yeah, it seems like kind of a silly question because I think we've already hinted at this or said it outright. Do you like this movie? Yes, very much so. It just as a as a movie, it kept moving, it kept pacing, and it, it kept you interested. And then as a as a doc, as a drama, maybe sort of a biopic, I suppose is the better term for it. It it taught you a lot about the man and the movement. Agreed. Bo, Bo took everything I was going to say and said it better. I don't know about that, but thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I Not knowing much, and sadly I know that when I, when I taught history, like the one year I was able to teach history, just even getting up to, even trying to get up to the 20th century, in the history class, we just didn't really, we didn't get as far as we wanted to up into the 20th century. And I feel like some of our discussions, and, and that has to do with me not being as informed as I could have been, you know, I know that our discussions about Malcolm X, Martin Luther King Jr. was very, very limited. You know, we did not spend, we did not spend a lot of time at all. I, I want to say in terms of talking about those two figures in particular, maybe, maybe a day or two out of, out of the entire school year was spent talking about that. And, and even then, based on my limited knowledge, I want to say that most of the conversation revolved around their differing styles, not even as much about them as individuals, but about their different styles of how they approached the civil rights movement. Of, of Martin mm -hmm. Luther King Jr. being much more about integration and peaceful protest and Malcolm X being, at least for a portion of his life, being very much, you know, about, well, 
by whatever means necessary where this is it's it's not we're not integrating we are we are basically we are superior and you see a little bit of that like they feature a, a couple of moments in the movie where you see him kind of he doesn't necessarily i don't think call him out by name but he criticizes the you know what he sees as being kind of a weak position that Martin Luther King Jr is holding of trying to integrate with white people. Mm-hmm. So I that's that's always something that, you know, I, I always felt when I taught history, I was like, I really did not. If I could go back and do it again, there are certain things that I would give a little bit more time to, and I would I'd try to reprioritize because we, mm-hmm. we spent way too much time on certain things that we spent time on it because it was in the textbook, but not because it was something important to American history. Mm-hmm. So, but no, I, I, I enjoyed this movie. And like I said, having not done, having not done a lot of my own reading or research on this, even if there's a lot that's fictional, fictionalized in this movie, the fact that you had, you know, that this came from the autobiography of Malcolm X, that you had a couple of people that were very close friends or his wife that were consultants on this movie. It makes me hope that also then with this, this clearly being something that Spike Lee is very passionate about, that it is as accurate as it could possibly be while still fictionalizing some of it. So, so I feel like, and I think I I read somewhere too, in, in one of the trivia sections of, of IMDB or, or another site was that Spike Lee was actually encouraging kids to skip school to go see this movie because he felt like it was, I heard that it was more educational than what they'd get in school. I did hear that. Uh, Pat, I was, I'm going to interrupt my own thought here for a second. I was going to, you, you started to talk about Spike Lee's style and how his style is very unique. And one of the, yes, I, I was trying to find the right words for it. Cause I, I kind of remembered a little bit of like what one of the things he does in particular, and it's called a double dolly shot. And so basically what a dolly is, is that you are placing a, a camera and a camera operator on a dolly that then kind of moves around the moves around the action but makes it so that it's in kind of a smooth motion and Spike Lee did what he what was called a double dolly shot the camera and the camera operator were on one dolly and the actor was actually on another dolly so what it actually ends up looking like the the camera and the the camera and the actor are on either two separate dollies or the same dolly and they are moving together. So it almost looks like the, the character is just gliding through as the background moves behind them. So it almost adds this kind of like, yeah, almost like this gliding effect. Yeah. No, I know what you're talking about. Or like the, the character is like standing still and the background is moving past them. Nope. I know exactly what you're saying. So that is called the, that's called the double dolly shot. And that is something that Spike Lee popularized. Cool. So, well, the more you know. Yeah, the better it is. Bum, bum, bum. There we go. I, one of the deep thoughts I want to get into for just a minute is, wow, that whole procedure of straightening their hair looked yeah. ridiculously painful. Yeah, that looks like no fun at all. I, I looked it up, and it was called, it was a chemical straightener called Congoline. And it was originally homemade hair straightener gel made from eggs, potatoes, and lye. Well, there's the burning oof, right there. <laughs> oof, oof. There's the burning. Yeah. I, it's, I, I almost want to jump to Fight Club. And this is a chemical burn. <laughs> and so 
things like that always astound me. Who was experimenting and said, I know what this needs. Lie. Lie. Like, okay. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure why it needs that. Right. Yeah, who was the first person to stick lie in their hair and then figure out, all right, well, we're going to have to wash it off. That's why that it it's awkward and there's a lot of tense moments, but that whole scene where the running water is not working Right. And he's got the lie in his hair and you just see the panic set in and it's and and it it kind of plays as a little bit of a funny moment. But at the same time, dude's going to get chemical burns Mm -hmm. by having this stuff in his hair. I mean, forget that they're about to get busted and go to jail, but one problem at a time. Right. Right. One problem at a time. So we resort to sticking your head in the toilet to wash it off. But yeah, that was mm. that was something that I was not necessarily aware of was the idea of the conch hairst that was I was reading this popular from the 1920s up to the early to mid 1960s then I believe replaced with the, you know, with the black power, black pride movement in the 60s was then replaced with the afro. Mm. So, yeah, but a very look like a very painful way to straighten your hair out. Yes, indeed. What is when when you've watched this, or if you've watched this before, and you you were knew this was coming up, and you you were thinking about it? What is most memorable to you about this movie? Like when you think Malcolm X, or if you now that you've seen it, if this was the first time, what is most memorable to you about this movie? Is there a particular scene that just you're you're going to picture that as being Malcolm hmm. X? I, it's a group of, well, other than the music being memorable, it's, it's really, it's when he begins to convert and, and, and buy-in sounds like a a negative, but he begins to adopt some of those, or he begins to adopt faith, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the, some of the more powerful stuff for me and just seeing the change that that, that that does on his life. Yeah, I will say for me, the most probably the most memorable scenes were other than his assassination at the end. Probably the most memorable ones are any of the times that he's up and and giving one of his speeches. Uh, you know, he's when he's mm-hmm. out when he's out on the street. That one image in particular, I I think when I when I look stuff up to get things ready for the podcast and put things up on Twitter and everything else. When mm-hmm. I'm looking up photos from Malcolm X, I, I would always see the one where he's got, so there's the businesses that are in the background behind him. He's got the microphones in front of him. He's giving one of his big speeches. And I, I think just the, the series of speeches that he gives throughout this movie, I just pick those together as a group, like lump those together. And I think those are probably when I think of the movie Malcolm X, that's probably what I'm going to think of first. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah, I'm right there with you. It's it's the speeches. It's him when he's in the gym and he's really getting, delivering his message and connecting with people. Yeah. You know, it, it definitely shows very well how he did that. And I got to say, one of my favorite things that an actor can do, and I and there's not a whole lot of times where this tends to happen, having having watched so many movies, 
I'm always, whenever I see an actor, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that actor. He was in this, this, and this. She was in this, this, and, like, I, the little encyclopedic part of my brain, like, starts flipping through. Oh, yeah, this is their entire filmography. Very few times will I watch a movie, and especially if it's a big-name actor like Denzel Washington, will I forget for a moment that that's Denzel Washington. In this movie, I completely forgot that that was Denzel Washington, and I spent most of this movie just looking at him going, yep, that's Malcolm X. Yeah, he was amazing. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't think I can't think of anything in this movie. As I mentioned before, it was about three hours, 21 minutes, I think was the runtime. It it zipped through. I mean, it's I cannot think of any moments in this movie that were unnecessary. I would agree. I do too. I was so impressed that a three hour movie didn't feel like a three hour movie. Usually by the end, you're like, okay, we could have trimmed the fat on that a little bit. There is nothing to cut from this. You need to see all of this. Yeah. Yeah. And I agreed. We, we, Pat and I, you know, I used to teach Pat does teach at a middle school, but I mean, this is what, like if I was teaching history at a high school, I would never be able to show an R-rated movie at a middle school, but if I if I could get parent permission and I could show it in a high school class, I I would tend to agree with Spike Lee. It's like I can't think of a better way to visually and in in an engaging way have students learn about the figure of Malcolm X than to show them this movie. Like I, you could read all the books you want, you can read all the speeches you want, you can listen to the speeches, you get whatever. But I feel like as long as you as long as you shared with the students that this is a movie, so some things are fictionalized. But I mean, I would totally if I was teaching high school history, I I would use portions of this movie, if not the entire thing, to 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 showcase that historical figure. Well, sure, and you can use you can use that as another discussion, like the you know historical fiction, yeah, and what that means. All right. Well, we're, we're going to jump to the three questions here in just a moment. But, Pat, would you like to take a couple of hours now and talk about the music? I mean, I could, I could start to play some of it. I, I, can, I can give you maybe like a couple hours to talk about the music if you want. I, actually, let me go. I think I've got something queued up here. That's, that's not the Malcolm X soundtrack. That's an ad for... What is that an ad for? Oh, yeah, that's an ad for Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh Very different movie. Yes. In that trumpet music Pat was talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I mean, uh, the music, you've got the popular music that's part of this movie, you've got the, the compositions that are part of the movie, and yeah, just I think this is such a great combination of music. But yeah, Pat, go ahead. I was, yeah, sorry, I was, I was on mute, like all my thoughts spelling out on mute. But yeah, it, it, it was, and I, Terrence Blanchard's playing there, his own composition, and it just, he's able to, to merge all these different dramatic elements of a score for a movie, you put the blues in, the trumpet playing that he's doing, really, and again, his voice just sounds so unique when he's scoring a film, right? Like, or when you're listening to any of his compositions, just like the voice, his voice on the trumpet is very, very unique when he plays. And yeah, I've been fortunate enough to hear him live a couple of times, and he's just an amazing musician, great musician. And over and above his wonderful score, if there's like the album of all the soundtrack, there is just, it's like a, it's almost like a greatest hits of the jazz era. You know what I'm saying? I mean, just, just really, really great music to listen to that just added so much to the movie. Yeah. Can't play it for too long, or else we're going to lose Pat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, Pat'll be Pat'll be all done. But uh, yeah, just just beautiful music. Yeah. All right. Do we have anything else we want to say about the movie itself? Great movie. Really enjoyed it. Amazing performances by the actors. You know, I I think again understanding that it's a it's a movie so it is fictionalized to a degree you know i think that it either helped me have a better understanding of malcolm x or at least a fictionalized version of malcolm x and kind of kind of gave me a sense of okay well now if i wanted to go read more i at least have this starting point i have the starting point of this movie and and the performances by people who i think genuinely wanted to portray the, the life of this man and, and, and the people around him as accurately as possible. Well said. Right on. All right. It's time for three questions. He asks each traveler five questions. Three questions. Three questions. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right, question number one. What is your favorite Denzel Washington role? Oy. That is the correct response. Yeah, that was a tough one. 
I have several. <laughs> Go for it. I think I'll start with Crimson Tide. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And then before I name the rest, I'll see what everybody else has before I before I take them all. I really liked him in I really liked him in Remember the Titans. Mm-hmm. That's probably one of my favorite movies of his. But one of my absolute like the overall one of my favorite movies of his has got to be Fallen. Mm-hmm. Have you guys seen that one? Yeah, a long Fallen. time ago. But yeah. Fallen. Have you seen that one, Pat? I hmm, have I? What is Fallen about? It is, so it's a little bit of a horror movie, so it's not 100% your speed. However, it's kind of a, what do you want to call it, a supernatural thriller? Yeah. Basically what it is, is he's he's a, I don't know if he's a detective or a police officer. It's John Goodman is in it, Donald Sutherland is in it, and Beth Davids from Army of Darkness is in it. Basically what it is, is there was a serial killer that was executed, he was on death row and he was executed, and then suddenly a, a, I think it's like a series of murders that are very similar, uh, if not identical, to the murders that were committed by the guy who was executed start happening. And as part of the investigation, what Denzel Washington's character learns is that this is actually a demon that can pass from person to person just through physical touch. Okay. And so he's... He's trying to solve this mystery, but this mystery is kind of blending into the supernatural, into the, you know, kind of he he has to consult with like a church historian to learn more about demons and how they work and, and everything else. And there are some really creepy scenes in this movie where the he's in a crowd of people and he, he is chasing who he thinks is the suspect and this uh, the as the person touches the next person in front of them, it just passes from person to person as he's kind of like trying to chase them down the street. And the kind mm-hmm. of the, the creepy, the creepy little catchphrase, if, if you can call it that is this demon really loves the, the song time is on my side. <laughs> so he will constantly sing or whistle or whatever time is on my side. And so that's kind of how you like who, who the demon is inside at this point. Interesting. So, I, it, it's a good one. It's a good one. So, I, I enjoy sounds it. like it. I enjoy it. But so I, I really like him in Fallen. Yeah, I think remember the Titans might be my other one. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how can you fault it? Yeah. I mean, and I fall into the thing too is that he can equally play good guys and bad guys. Oh yeah. And I, I mean, he's got some killer role glory. Yeah. He's mm-hmm. got some killer roles like. He was amazing in Training Day, but it's kind of hard to say, yep, that's my favorite because, right. you know, of the character he ends up kind of revealing to be. Right. Yeah. Did you, uh, Pat, did you did you give an answer? For favorite Denzel Washington role? Yeah. Oh shoot! I thought I'd squeak by. Well, you you said Training Day, or no? You said I I said either Remember the Titans or Remember the Fallen. Titans and Fallen. Yeah, right. And then you described it, and that's going to give me nightmares. And Bo, yeah. what what was your favorite again? I said Crimson Tide, and then Crimson I Tide more hiding. Yeah, you know Glory. He was amazing in Glory. Was I, great. I I think he was good in the Seven remake. Yes, that was the other one I was thinking of. He was really good in that one. 
You know the the um, one that the one that looked really good, but I haven't watched it yet. Was last year they did uh, the tragedy of Macbeth, and he played Macbeth. Okay. Yeah. Was it not good? He was. Uh, he was good. Okay. The movie itself. Oh really? Yeah. I, oh, it looked good. It did. It really, and it looked beautiful. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. The pacing or something about it, and I want to go back and watch it again. Okay. Because I watched it when it came out, because that was like, what, tail end of the pandemic? Yeah. And I was excited. I was super excited about it. I was like, this is going to be awesome. And it was all right. Okay. All right. Yeah, I was much more hopeful than. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Not bad. Just, yeah. you know, the other taking of Pelham 123. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That one was good. He was good in that. And then sort of a different role for him. I like he there's a much ado about nothing that he's in and he plays Don Pedro. Yeah, that not one. Don, not Don Pedro. No, he does. Yeah, Don Pedro. Yeah. 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 And it's it's a different role for him. And I think that's why I like it so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a fun one. It's fun. Cool. I'm surprised nobody went with Ricochet. Mm, good. I think we can all agree there are, is plenty of good here. Yeah. Yes. Well, and next year, I don't know. I don't know if much to do about nothing ended up on our list, but at the very least, we're going to get two more movies of his next year with Philadelphia and the Pelican Brief. Nice. Oh yeah. So, and then unfortunately, we have to wait two years after that to get Crimson Tide. Mm. Looks like he took a bit of a break. It looks like he was busy. In 90, 91, 90, well, actually, he was pretty busy up until 93, and then it looks like he didn't do anything um, movie-wise in 94, but then Crimson Tide was 95. It's got lazy, what can I say? I know. <laughs> Come on, man. What the hell? All right. Okay, question number two. What's the worst haircut you've ever had? I've had the, <laughs> I've had the same haircut for a very long time, which is sort of embarrassing, but I did try a mustache for about a day and that did not go well no yeah it just wasn't right i don't know how else to say it except (laughs) it just wasn't right it just wasn't right it just wasn't there's no two ways about it you you grew a mustache and because you worked in a school you had to register yourself (laughs) (laughs) something like that yeah yeah it's outstanding that's outstanding I got no. Was it, I got to ask, Bo. Was it like a Magnum PI mustache, or was more like a, a stringy French aristocrat mustache? It was more Magnum PI than French aristocrat, that's for sure. Okay. Although, like a, like I a, could never pull off a mustache like Tom Selleck. Yeah. I, that man, I don't know if it's his hair or his face, but that is iconic in a way that I would really? dare never attempt such a thing. <laughs> So I would have pictured yeah. a Del Griffith mustache. Oh, there we go. Oh, dear. Yeah. I could not pull off a mustache either. I try. I always would joke about it, like, when I had, like, this, and then I would shave just this, and I can only take a couple hours walking around the house freaking out the kids, and it's just like, oh, my God, I cannot go on public like this. Yeah, you, you just look at yourself. You're like, no, no, I can't do it. 
And then if you do it, if you do the smaller one, like Adele Griffith mustache, then it like gets even worse when it's smaller. It turns mm-hmm. into almost, what is it? Like, uh, who, who had the, like, it's not a, like the, the thick one is Groucho. And it's not even real, but it's You're not talking about the Charlie Chaplin, aren't you? The Charlie Chaplin kind of ish, yeah, 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 yeah. You, you're like maybe if I just take a little more a little off, here, a little there, and it gets smaller and smaller. And then you're like, gets, nah, yeah. it just starts looking worse. You're like, no, 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 no. It's uh, yeah. not good. So the people that can pull it off and look good, man, that's I. God bless them. Power, all more power to them. Yeah, it, it does not work. Well, I, I hear the pencil mustache is back in style now. So, <laughs> I've seen people with the handlebar ones too. Like I have a cousin that that would do that. He did the, like the oh yeah yeah like the curly yeah. That's again too much work. Yes. <laughs> so is this as as part of the podcast? Since we're now in the month of November, are, are we are we saying that we're going to do a no shave November? November? <laughs> I kind of do it anyway. I was gonna say, that's if I okay. sit for a day. That's a, if I sit for a day and think three hours hard. for Pat. <laughs> when did Chewbacca get here? Okay, I'm shaving. <laughs> Haircut. I would say for me. Did you have hair? I looked, I, yeah, I did. Okay. Yeah, smart. I look back into probably. Cause we were, we were a crew cut kid. Our, we had five boys. My dad was just like, boom, mom, just grab the done, you know? And that was it. And that was pretty much K through eight. And then I started growing out hair. I think more like a little bit six, seventh and eighth grade. And it was just kind of that really long, but you know, just a little bit more gone. Then when I got to, I, I want to say like freshman year or college might be the worst. I have a baseball picture and I kind of have, it used to be this kind of buzzed on the side, almost like a mullet, but not quite, but kind of like this style that people did. And I remember even Peter Gabriel had it like at one point, like on a, I think one of the amnesty tours or whatever. And it was like, Oh, that looks good. And then this other baseball player kid did it. And I was like, Oh, so I pretty much did it. And it was like, and a lot of people had it at the time, but it was kind of buzzed on the side, more of a kind of a flat top on the top. And then the back was longer. So I guess technically kind of a mullet, but that was, that was probably about a year period of that. And I look back at pictures and cringe now. Other than that, no. And then I just kind of started cutting it shorter and shorter and, you know. I thought for some reason that if I grew my hair out long in college, it would look real cool. No. (laughs) No. I'm not sure what I look like, but there was a stretch of time where I, you know what? I think I probably look like uh, there was a stretch of time where I wore this long black trench coat everywhere I went, and mm-hmm. I had my hair grown out kind of long-ish, especially in the back. It wasn't quite a mullet. I mean, I had it longer in the front too. And then I just didn't shave for a while. I think I kind of look like a combination of Joaquin Phoenix's Joker mixed with Jack Black. Dressed See, like would, dressed like I was from the Matrix. I would have thought you would have gone for like the Axl Rose because I remember you having long hair wig with when you did a costume with Axl Rose or something for like '80s Day or something. Oh, I was That's, I was I would have pictured because it was a big Guns and Roses was pretty big in your in your history there yeah. that you would have kind of mimicked. I did it when when we did '80s Day at school. I was Slash. I had a black wig. Yeah. And oh, I you did the, Slash. Yeah, like that's the, right. The slash. Yeah. The, yeah. No, if I was doing Axl Rose, I'd I'd get the long the long red wig and I'd uh, put my kilt on. Yeah, and and, and, a, to you. Yeah. and and a shirt that was like four sizes too small. What I love is that all these stories about the haircuts that don't work 
like all of us, it always starts with, yeah, for some reason I thought it would look good if like that's, <laughs> that's how all of our answers have started. Yeah. For some reason I thought this would look really good. It, well, how many stories just in life start with, it was a good idea at the time. Well, I was going to say, like, I think that let's see what this looks like. At least it's an experiment and you went into it that way. I think the more embarrassing ones are the moments where I was like, I'm really rocking this. <laughs> and and, you know, no and one then told you look you? back at, at least then if you go, I'm going to try this mustache or I'm going to try this beard. I'm going to try this haircut. And then you did it and you go, ah, this kind of sucks. At least there was some sort of wisdom to that. But when you went through maybe a year or a couple of years of like thinking, <laughs> damn, I look good when you get up in the mirror, you check that and you go out and you're like, yes, <laughs> ladies, be ready. <laughs> and then you look back at it and you go, wow. <laughs> wow, that really didn't do what I thought it was going to do. Yeah. That was a choice I made one day. I think, I think kids today are going to do the exact same. I think every generation does oh, it. Yeah. But like this new mop sort of kids where the kids don't even comb their hair. And it's like this big poofy kind of parrot look and like a, mm -hmm. like a disheveled Beatles look. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. It's just a weird. And I'm like, how does it? It's in their eyes. It's, it's like just kind of I, I think one day they're going to look back and be like, man, look at my prom pictures. I'm wearing gym shoes, a suit, and I got this moppy hair thing going. And they got the black, like the black socks going with the gym shoes or the white socks pulled up to their knee look. It's like, it looks like my grandpa. But yeah. It's choice. Yeah. But I think so every generation will have those moments where you tried something, thought it was good, and, and then you look back and go, what the heck was I thinking? Yeah. Now I have no choice. <laughs> right. <laughs> my choice, my choice was taken from me. Now, Pat, what's yours? Because I have seen pictures of, of Pat with hair. Yeah, Pat with hair. Well, there was not much I could do with my hair. Or not much I figured out what to do with my hair. I mean, I used a lot of, like, I guess, hairspray. In, it was almost like the greaser thing, where it was just, like, combed regular, but just a lot of hairspray in there to, like, hold it in place. And then even when I used to think, oh, man, my hair's really short, it was, like, still super long. But it just had a lot of body, so it could never get, like, 80s metal hair or any of that kind of stuff. Cool thing. And then I just kind of – I had a couple of haircuts. I went to the barbershop up where I went to college, and a couple times they cut it pretty short and kind of buzzed part of it. And I'm just like, okay, I could kind of – and then I just started cutting it shorter and shorter, and finally I was like, man, I just don't want to mess around with it. So I just got rid of it. And then I could cut my own hair every couple of – yeah. So that's kind of how I happened into that. So I don't know. Maybe my present haircut is the is the embarrassing one that I'm just like everyone's like, oh, geez. But yeah, I'd say anytime you know, I mean, the times that I was just using a lot of hairspray to hold it in place was probably pretty bad. Or just times that I'd go to the barber and they'd cut it, but there'd be one part where there was like a bump or it didn't comb right or whatever. And in my mind, it was like epically huge and just embarrassing and terrible. But in reality, it was probably nothing at all. So. I think we should, we should post that when you post this on, we should all send a picture in of, of these so-called haircuts and mustaches. Oh, I, I took no pictures of my haircut. Okay. This, this is when right. I was at college. I'm not even sure I looked in the mirror for like the month that I had this haircut. Kind of like, thank God we didn't have the, 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 the ubiquitous amount of cameras and cell oh, phones yeah. and pictures because all that's documented nowadays. Every moment of mm -hmm. poor choices is pretty much documented. Yeah. Where back then you got away with them with just you knowing or just the circle of friends and memory gets foggy and, you know, in hindsight, that eh, wasn't that bad. Yeah. All right. Question number three, what assassinated historical figure would you want to learn more about? 
And whether that's mm-hmm. the historical figure or the actual, like if you were going to learn more about their actual assassination, either way, whichever. I say that because the I, I feel like I know a little bit about this historical figure anyway, but my answer would be John Lennon. Um, mm, I, cool. I would want to know a little bit more about, I, I know the reason for his assassination. I know, but I, if there was more reading I could do, I would be interested to find out more because my dad was always a really big Beatles fan. And, and I, I don't know if you guys have this or not, but I know that when each, when, when myself and my siblings were born and then when my kids were born, like we always kept a, we always got a copy of the newspaper from the day that they were born. And like, so we've got boxes of my baby stuff, my sister's baby stuff, our kids' baby stuff. There's always like, we have copies of the Tribune from the day that my son was born, the day that my daughter was born. And I remember in my, I think in my box of baby stuff, I have a copy of, because we lived in Dallas, so I had a copy of the Dallas Morning News. I think there's a copy from the day I was born, but in the same box, there's a copy from two days later when John Lennon was assassinated. So that was kind of, that was a big deal for my dad. So big enough for him to include a copy of the newspaper in my box of baby stuff. Interesting. Hmm. Well, I feel like I've been answering this a lot for everything, but I, I still think Abraham Lincoln would be an incredible, you know, human being to talk to and find out more from and so on and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. I was my my clarification on this question, because I think you both answered it slightly different. And like, was this to learn more about the assassination or was this to actually like meet the person or learn like, you know what? What's the either way angle on this. Okay. Either way. Okay. For me, it always comes back to Kennedy. I know it's an easy one, but mm-hmm. whether it's to learn more about the assassination itself or just what what he had cooking that we never got to hear about, you know, back. that's, I think, the part that interests me the most, like what could have happened. Back and to the left. <laughs> back and to the left. Always comes back to that, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, trying to narrow it down now after thinking that, because like, I, I think the, the, I would agree with the Kennedy, if you're going back to research, especially because there's such a, a like to, to know and see and whatever is because there's such a mis- mysterious shroud around that assassination. Like there's not a clear, what happened on that grass? Like what, like all those things like make you want to kind of, if you go back, you would solve a question that so many people have, you know? So that part on that angle but interesting, like to talk to that person, I would narrow it down to three. And I don't know if I have a, I'm doing a mazooka here, but Lincoln was one. So since Pat took that one, when I say it was one, it was one of them. And then the other one would have been Gandhi. And then also, because uh, I would like to meet Gandhi. And, and then I, and then there was another one, which, which if I tie into, I know you, I, you guys answered the first question, but Denzel Washington also played this character in a movie and that would be Stephen Biko, mm-hmm. which... Mm. Was it assassination? I don't know. Or was it more of a murder? And please test it. So I, like, I, yeah, people will say it's an assassination. So I don't know if it officially is. He died in police custody. Yeah. In South Africa. Which, if I go back, because the first question was what, Denzel Washington roles, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, so I know I wasn't there for the answer to that one, so I'll just throw that one. Stephen Biko and Cry Freedom would have been a good one for me. I think he disappears into Malcolm X really well, and I think he did a really good job disappearing into Stephen Biko from South Africa. Just the, the, the language, the tone, the accent, the persona, the very calm, sort of witty, humorous, just a really good sense of Stephen Biko. And then I would also throw in from Glory, probably one of his best roles, too, mm-hmm. when he was the character in Glory. So, yeah. Very cool. Well, uh, real quick, Dennis, because you weren't you weren't here for the as we were talking about mm-hmm. the actual movie of Malcolm X. I, what were some of your thoughts on Malcolm X? Like, do you when is this one that you've seen before or a few times? I've seen or? it only once before back in the time when it came out. I didn't see the theater, saw it on video or on cable, one of the two. And I thought it was good. I mean, it was a great performance. I learned a lot about a character that I about a historical person I did not really know enough about. So I thought it was quite interesting, and I always kind of wanted to research how much of it is, is factually based and how much is true, and I guess I still don't 100% know, but yeah, I mean, it was it was, it was was well done. I think he, looking back on it, I think he should have gotten an Oscar for that and didn't. We could even argue, what, is it Angela Bassett, right? I think yeah. it was the other, mm-hmm. yeah. But yeah, I think that, how, I'm not sure how that's not, a, who won it that year? You know, did you guys talk about that? We did not. I was I was actually just going to look that up. <laughs> that better be a darn good performance. Like something I'm like, okay, yeah. 92, right? Yep. Well, but when was it released in 92? Because would it have been... It would have been 93. Yeah. That's always so weird, isn't it? I don't know if you guys discussed that. Is it Hopkins? No. It has to be a different year. It has to be 93 probably. Right? Best actor in 92 was Pacino for Son of a Woman. And 93. So 93, it would have been the 93 Oscars. Yeah, 93. Um, Hopkins? Pacino, Scent of a Woman. Yeah. Denzel Washington was nominated. He was nominated, but then get it. You also, Clint Eastwood and Unforgiven, Robert Downey Jr. Oh, that's a that's a tough deal. Yeah. Al Pacino, Scent of a Woman. Yeah. Downey Jr. was great in Chaplin. Clint Eastwood, classic, Unforgiven. Oh man, yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, that's like. Yeah. But that was we we kind of said the same thing you said, Dennis. Was it just I I said in particular? I'm like I, there was, there are a few times where an actor I think the way you said it kind of disappears into a role, and in watching this movie, I many times watching this movie, I was like, I I completely forgot that was Denzel Washington. Especially when they do the cuts, I think they use a lot of the black and white back and forth and mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when they do that, it just it you literally think, okay, you're going from the new modern Denzel Washington playing him yeah. to a real historical recording of Malcolm X, but they're the right. same person right. playing in both roles. But when they do that, it, for a minute, you think because some movies have done that where they like show the person in black and white or something at some point, not throughout the whole movie, but you know, like at the end of a movie and you think, Oh, well that's what the real person looked like. Oh, he's so close to that person. And here, when they did it throughout the movie, it was like, it just made you think that you're looking back to actual black and white historical face. So it was, it was, yeah, it was, I think really well done. I, I, I liked the film. It was informative for me. And again, that's a character that you grow up. And I think that obviously Martin Luther King, and I'm not saying, somebody should have got more or less coverage, but it was like, obviously we learned more about Martin Luther King, that assassination. We learned more about like either, even other African-American historical figures 
And I think for me, Malcolm X back then, the vibe that I got was that he was like this militant sort of mm-hmm. kind of bad boy. And you didn't necessarily revere him. It was not really like he wasn't as held in good light because he was a troublemaker type of thing it was sort of what growing up was the vibe. I just casually got, I don't even know how or where or what, but it's kind of like, Oh, Malcolm X, he was the more militant sort of, or the peacekeeper was Martin Luther King, the one everybody looks up to the one that the holidays there. And, you know, and then when you listen to him and you listen to some of the stuff, it's, it's pretty interesting. Like there's pros and cons, obviously of, of, of what people say and their background, but understanding more and listening to it was, was, was an eye opener. Yeah. All right. And I'll get your hands out of my pocket scene, man. That's just, yeah. Yeah. Like when they show it earlier and it's the test run yeah. mm-hmm. or what happens later about creating commotion and stuff. And then when it happens, I also, I'm just curious cause I don't think there was any video of that. One question I was going to ask for you guys too was, I don't know if you looked up the historical like part of it, like there was no video of the assassination, correct? I don't believe so. Cause I always wonder like in the role, one of the things that I, I don't know if you catch the subtle smirk that Denzel Washington does when the guy is, finally pull up and they got the gun right there and they're right in his face and he's about to get shot. He looks at him and there's like a slight smirk. And I don't know if that was kind of like, Oh, are you like, okay, well, this is how it goes down. Like I knew this was coming yeah. or you got me or all right, game's up or, you know, or I remember from the previous time when you did that commotion, you know what I'm saying? Cause like, I like mm-hmm. recognized like the, the, the setup then like, ah, ah crap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Like, but there, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I sense a slight smirk from Denzel Washington in that scene. Yeah. So I always thought that was an interesting moment. Of, was he afraid or was he just like, oh, well, this is happening. Mm-hmm. Play with, you know, this is bound to happen. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so overall, yeah, it was a, it's a it's a classic. It's a good film. It's not one I would repeatedly watch because it's not that type of movie, you know. Right. It's like right. the Gandhi movie is a great movie, but you're not going to sit there and watch Gandhi for. And I forgot what the runtime on this one was, but it's about three and a half, three and a half yeah. hours, yeah, yeah. And it's just like, yeah, you're not going to watch those too often. Yeah. But it doesn't doesn't take away from from it. <clears throat> All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. If you want to go find more of our episodes, we, we mentioned a few this evening. And so if you want to go find any of those past episodes, go to 30podcast.com. We are at 30podcast on the different social media sites, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Our next episode's coming up in the month of November. Our Patreon is King of Comedy from 1982. Our Patreon shorts are Rocky 3 from 82 and Black Adam from 22. Then we've got our regular episodes, our Unforgiven, Chaplin, A River Runs Through It. And then in December, we've got our Patreon is Eating Raul from 1982. Our Patreon shorts are Christmas Story Christmas from 2022 and Conan the Barbarian from 1982. Then our regular episodes in December are Santa Claus the Movie, The Babe, All I Want for Christmas, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, and The Muppet Christmas Carol. So we got a lot of good stuff coming up here in the next couple months or so, and then we are marching towards 1993 at this point. So, And I did, I think I've put together the, I think I've put together our schedule for next year, so I'll be sharing that out with you guys pretty soon, and then sharing, we can share some of that out publicly as we get closer to January, but we got a lot of good stuff coming up for, for next year. It was very, very tough to narrow some of it down after taking people's, votes and other stuff there was 
there was some cutting that had to be done. So I'm hoping I cut the right ones. Mm. So we'll, oh. we'll see. If, if anybody can get a couple of extra weeks added on to the year, then we can throw those back in or find other times that we can do special episodes. But when you got 52 weeks, when you do an episode every single week, you got 52 weeks in the year and you're like, well, there's 58 really good movies on this list. Ugh. Yeah. So we've got good stuff coming next year. We've got good stuff Excellent. coming. We've got good stuff coming next week. I'm looking forward to talking about Unforgiven. I actually haven't watched that one in a little while, but I I've seen it several times, but not lately. So I'm looking forward to that. No, Pat, have you seen that one before? Unforgiven? Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I I never have. I'm not a big fan of Westerns. Oh, so good. Dude, I'm being sarcastic. I've seen that movie like a hundred. Oh, good. I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah, I'm just being sarcastic. It wasn't really making sense, but it can happen. Stranger things have happened. No, I have I have seen Unforgiven. It's one of my favorite Metallica songs. There you go. Yeah. All right. So just about everything that's walked, William Money. No, his name was William Money. Who is it? Little, what was, who is the sheriff's name? It's Little Bill? Little Bill? Yeah, I think it's Little Bill. Yeah, he said, "Now I'm here to kill you. Oof, he's terrifying. All right, we'll come back next week so you can be terrified with us. Mm-hmm. All right, everybody be excellent to each other. Go watch some good movies. We'll see you back here next week for Unforgiven. If you don't come back next week, we will unforgive you. I, that doesn't work. Wow. Anyway, we'll see you back here next week. You reached pretty deep for that one. I, I did. I apologize. <laughs>